welcome to episode 67 of Making It Women in Film, a podcast where I sit down with women working across the film and TV industry to learn their story and hear all about their craft, career, and vigorous resilience. My name is Evita, and I am so excited to bring this week's episode produced by Bonnie and Bra and Ella's Films to you. Today is a very beautiful and creatively enlightening conversation with filmmaker Nisha Platzer, who recently came out with her debut feature film, Back Home. Back Home is a documentary that Nisha didn't plan to make, as she'll tell you all about shortly. When Nisha was 11, her older brother Josh died by suicide. She always felt like she never really knew him, like there was this empty space. Then, around six years ago, she ran into her brother's close friends, and pieces of the puzzle began to come together. In this interview, Nisha shares her own journey into the arts and then the making of Back Home, how she filmed with his ashes and used experimental techniques to visually express things words cannot. She talks about vulnerability and how healing cinema can be, not just for you as the artist, but for entire communities affected. I sincerely hope you enjoy this episode, and of course, if you want to skip it due to the topic, that's totally okay, and you can jump to the roundtable at the end where I talk about movies by women coming out this new year. The timestamp will be in the description, or otherwise I'll just see you back here next week. Either way, it's completely fine. Here's Nisha. Well, Nisha, you know, I can read as many bios as I want, but I honestly just love hearing filmmakers introduce themselves. Uh, what do you, What should our audience know about you? Who are you? Yeah, thank you. I, I, I do try to make a bio that has some of my, you know, real self in it, but then you end up just like listing your accolades because that's what helps get grants and stuff like that. But I'm Nisha. I am a, a Vancouver-based Canadian queer maker of films and sometimes other things. I like to make films that can provide a space for kind of an experience or, or to tune into sensation especially when it comes to visuals. So yeah, I think of myself more in that way as a kind of like experience or like visual creator as opposed to a storyteller. Um, I think there is story within my, my films, but that's not the central part of it. So to dig back, where did your relationship with filmmaking begin? I think that the the seed of it was likely in in childhood i was always in um in the arts i i played music from a really young age so i was performing on stage and i was really into acting and theater so there was always an interest in definitely in in the arts and then film specifically became of interest when i have an uncle who is a film director and he came up to Vancouver for about six months. He was shooting a film and I was in high school and I think it was my spring break. And I just spent every day on set just being like, what you doing? What's that? What are you doing? <laughs> like really, really curious and really enamored and just like, what is it? And it was, you know, like a, not like the film sets that I work on. It was like a big film set with you know hundreds of people. Um, so that was just incredible and eye-opening and, that was the moment that I was like, this is something I want to know more about. <laughs> this is pretty cool. Yeah. Were there any standout movies in your childhood? You know, I mean, we all have the movies that were just on repeat, but is there any in particular you think ha- had an impact? I can on remember you? the first time I saw Eternal Sunshine for the Spotless Mind and just thinking about it 
for days and just being like, I'm still in the movie. I feel like I'm still in it. And uh, that sense of um, how, how time can be warped or how, um, I mean, that is such a complex and layered film that can also be torn apart in a lot of ways for valid reasons now that I'm older and, and can be a bit more critical about it. But uh, yeah, at the time that was, something that was just rupturing all of the mm. kind of rules yeah. and standards that I knew about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the first time you had like a, a camcorder, like the first thing you shot, like were you that type of person walking around filming people? I mean, that I guess is sort of surprising to some people when, when they learn about the the film that I made, that's a personal film. Like we weren't a family with a camcorder or, or film camera. Like we, we had photos, but we didn't have video footage of, of us as a family or kids. Um, I don't know. I, I went to a, there's a, there's a wonderful little film school on a tiny island near where I live, Galliano Island. And uh, it's, it's funny because everyone you meet, you know, in, in working in Vancouver, like every other person who, at least if they grew up in this province in BC, they've been to that film school because they also used to run a lot of programs where you didn't necessarily have to pay to go. Um, they had, yeah, they're awesome. And it was just a, just such a unique place to have a film school in the middle of the woods on an Island. And um, yeah, that was the, that was probably the first, I think probably the first time I actually made mm-hmm. a film. What was it about? Yeah. If you remember. Oh my God. Yeah, I totally remember it. It's on YouTube. Uh-huh. <laughs> this we made this lesbian murder mystery pretty much um or yeah it was like a crime thriller with this woman who wanted to fake her own death so she could leave her husband amazing be this woman. <laughs> yeah it was like <laughs> very ambitious for the uh resources we had. <laughs> you gotta be ambitious yeah you went to that film school. How how old were you when you decided that this was something you wanted to really, you know, do? Maybe 14. Yeah, four. I think I went twice to that one. So that was, yeah, I think I was at that point definitely dreaming about being behind the camera because before that I was really interested in theater and acting and being in front of the camera. I fell into the background. Of- yeah, why, why do you think that changed? I thought, I don't know that, performing was always something I I really loved like I think I always had anxiety about um performance and and still do there was always like a you know I I got used to it because I had to do it so much uh in music as a child but um I think there was just a comfort that you know some things just fit and you just click and oh, this is, I can still be part of the making of productions and plays and films without having to be on stage. I think I just didn't necessarily know that that was an option. Probably, you know, lots of ways we could unpack that around gender and stuff. Directing just something that I was very curious about and energized by. No, I... That's really interesting because I do think it's very true that especially young girls are, if they are creative, are pushed towards acting. Like it is just something, you know, you're put on stage, 
And I can remember, I definitely remember as a child, um, I was a bit of a class clown. Like I remember really enjoying making people laugh and like being kind of disruptive <laughs> in school and like making people laugh. And I remember being like, maybe I'll be a comedian. And I, it, like, I really do clearly remember thinking like, but there are no, I've never seen a woman comedian. Like that just, I hadn't seen that. Um, yeah. And like, just really remembering that that was so, that was like a clear barrier that I, that I saw that was like, oh, I, I don't know if I can because I don't know if that only, only like boys yeah. seem to be funny. <laughs> so, um, yes. That, that trickles into the way that you imagine your life being. No, no, exactly. But you got a camera in your hands and it felt right. Yeah. Places like gifts, film school and and also, you know, really some wonderful teachers who were encouraging and um, challenged me to to just try things that I hadn't tried and do things that are scary. Creativity and, and well, I was going to say storytelling, but as you said, you're not much of a storyteller, but I think, you know, there are still stories within the visuals and expressions and connections um, I think that all comes from bravery, you know, and, and wanting to do something different and make people feel something and say something. It's not that I don't tell stories. There's definitely a lot of quite a strong story in the film in Back Home. But I guess what I mean is there's something about the word and like the connotation that comes with story and storytelling that I feel a resistance to, I guess. And that Interesting. I think you can be in a film or a play or whatever it is, or music. Music is a good example, right? Like there's not necessarily a story in every song. It can just be a feeling and it makes you, it, it, it puts you in a mood. It creates a sensation in your body. And that's what I'm really interested in doing and being part of rather than being like, and then A happened <laughs> and character B met character C and this happened like all the plot points are like much less uh, I guess I just feel less drawn to that kind of of creativity than um than making a a, a mood or a sensation or like a space for people to experience that mm-hmm. no no I think that's beautiful and probably also the most powerful um of storytelling is when you know you feel it and it's even something you can't necessarily pinpoint. Um, it's almost a science. Yeah, those are my favorite films, the ones you can't really... Yeah, and you, you know, you leave it feeling just... It does feel like you've, you know, been jet-lagged uh, when it ends. Uh, you're somewhere else um, and your body's just adjusting to what you just digested, you know? So... Yeah, yeah, it feels like you're walking out of a dream. Uh-huh, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just that feeling of, you know... I think most people can relate to that when you come out of a movie and there's just that cinema carpet, you know, and you're just walking down the hall and it's just, uh, it takes you a moment uh, to readjust. And, uh, um, you know, it's definitely something that happens on movies where they don't intend it to, but then especially the way that you play with visuals and sounds and senses and emotions in your work um, is incredibly impactful um, and I kind of just want to move straight into that really so I'm 
you've done shorts, um, but you've just come out with your debut feature film, Back Home. Um, I'm going to let you take the rails and kind of tell people what this is about. Yeah, so um, well, Back Home is this film about my search to get to know who my older brother was, Josh, um, who took his own life 23 years ago as a 15-year-old, and I was 11 at the time. And I never felt like I knew him very deeply uh, because there was a five-year age gap and, you know, and one's 15 and the other's 11. It's like, you're in a totally different world. You're living different lives. And um, Anyway, so the film follows that journey of reuniting some of his closest friends and asking them to tell stories about him. And then within that, I also was using my own practice of experimental filmmaking to, I guess, create images that could represent some of the indescribable feelings and experiences of like, of grief and of loss and and of discovery and all of this being so feeling so life-changing and powerful while it was happening um I didn't always have words for it and that's what what some of the abstract handmade images do I think is is kind of um give a picture to those experiences both the painful ones and the you know the ones that are more full of love and and then they also, you know, they also provide a bit of a respite for the audience in between heavier scenes and yeah. more emotional scenes, moments of pause. So. When did you decide or when did you know that this was something that you wanted to do? Well, that um, that question always comes up. And the truth is that I I didn't ever mean to make a film about this. It was not intentional. Um, it, it kind of came to me in, in the sense that, um, I had some health issues that arose quite suddenly. I was living in Montreal and, um, yeah, I, I couldn't find solutions for those health problems there. And I decided to move back to where my family lives in Vancouver while seeing specialists and, you know, doing all kinds of medical exams and not really finding any answers. I was guided to... Um, I was referred actually by two doctors to somebody who does a very specific type of treatment. She's a yoga teacher and she does, it's not even really yoga, but out of a yoga studio. The, the treatment that was recommended by these two doctors was only available um, at one particular studio in the whole city. And the person who offers it was somebody very close to my brother. And she you know, she knew my brother very deeply. He died at her house. And so when that, when that happened, when that person was, was recommended to me as somebody who could be part of my physical healing, it was a a moment where it kind of just, um, it felt like the universe was pushing me in a, in a specific direction. Um, and then that was, it was continuously reaffirmed, uh, through other people that I met. So after, talking with her and starting to take her classes and go into deeper conversation about 
my brother. I also reached out to her two sons who were very close friends of Josh's and then other friends. And it just started to build, right? I was having these very powerful conversations with people who knew my brother and I was learning so much. Like my mind was just exploding with images and stories and things that I had never known about him. So that was, yeah, I knew something really incredible was happening and I felt very inspired creatively, but I didn't, I wasn't thinking of it as a film. I was like, I just know I need to record this somehow. So I would ask, you know, if people were comfortable with me recording the conversations just with an audio recorder. And then later it started to become too big, I think, to really uh, contain in, in just some kind of, I think I was planning to do maybe a photo essay with some audio elements. Uh, that was sort of the original idea. Uh, I thought it would maybe take a year at most. And then it just grew and grew and it became um, a film. And um, yeah, I, I don't think I ever expected it to become feature film and one that I would spend many years making um but I I yeah I, I'm very pleased with how it all together and it has been extremely healing for me and I think everybody involved it must have been a surreal experience surreal like the way you also kind of um, portray the, the fragments and uh, the, the puzzle piece um as you were in it and it was beginning to kind of form. I, it was built, it was filled out. Like it's like there were these blank spaces that existed before, or there was a very um, superficial or simple idea that I had of him that I knew was not complete. I knew there was more complexity. I knew, you know, like this was a full person um, but I knew so little about him and I had, um, yeah, I guess I just felt that we didn't get a chance to really know him and really be close to him. So he became a full layered person. Once I knew his friends, I could know him through knowing them. It must have been. You know, as you said, you didn't set out to make this movie. It just kind of happened, and I think it felt right when it felt right. But it must also have been a bit strange um, when it was kind of coming together. Uh, you know, you're talking with a lot of people here, a lot of people of very different experiences and memories and held on to, to Josh in very different ways. Um once this was becoming a movie, what was kind of the responses from people and how did you feel about it as you saw what this was turning into? Um, I think because it was so process oriented and I was sort of discovering it as I went, it was, it, it was challenging to say that to people, you know, and kind of be like, I don't really know what this is. And it, but it also meant that I had to, um, I mean, I had to be transparent. Like that was, I, I wasn't going to tell people I knew what I was doing when I did it. <laughs> um, because at the same time as I was making this film, I was building these relationships and they're 
there are friendships that matter to me beyond making a film. It was like, I want to know these people, not only because I'm making a film. Um, and so I guess building that trust took a lot of time. Um, and yeah, I think that for them, there must have been confusion and moments where they were like, I don't know, <laughs> what is this? What are we getting involved in? And from some more than others and maybe for different reasons, but uh, yeah, I think that was just, it took as long as it took partially because you just need time to build that trust and you need time to feel comfortable together, let alone on camera. Um, so I, I just feel really grateful and very fortunate that um, we were all able to give that time and have that patience and, um, and trust, I guess, that, I don't know, that we were leading each other with care and, and with genuine love, you know, like no one was going to be trying to, um, like I never wanted it to be an, inv an investigate or an investigative kind of film or, or like a um, searching for answers or searching for someone to blame or anything like that. Right. So, but, but making sure that that was clear from the start, like I, I was very intentional about telling them what I was not going to do. Cause you know, I, I was intentional about telling them that I loved them and I was grateful for who they were in my brother's life. Um, I think that needed to be clear right away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think also, you know, when you're working, when something so personal becomes professional in a way, it's also very daring to be so open with the public to share that, not just with your close friends and people who you're getting to know, but to people you don't know. Um Yeah, can you tell me a bit about that? So when it was becoming, you know, finishing... And it was a movie and it was it was this thing that had an afterlife. What did you have doubts about sharing it? Did you know that this was what you wanted to do? What um, because like I think for many people, you know, filmmakers, writers, these very, very close things, um, even if they aren't so personal, can be extremely difficult to share. Definitely. Um, well, yes, it was very difficult uh, right up until the premiere. Um, I had always said that I, I would share the film with everyone who's in it before I shared it with a, a public. Um, and that was really, really important to me to make sure that they were all comfortable with how they are portrayed because um, it's their lives uh, you know that's the thing about documentary it's like everybody who's in your film sees your film and uh, you know there's a, there's like there's the personal relationships that are off screen that are impacted so um, yeah I, I always wanted to be sure that they were happy with this going out into the world and so they saw a fine cut and I, I went into those screenings open to the idea of making changes if that was necessary for someone 
you know, to feel good about it. Um, and I was surprised and delighted that they all, um, yeah, they all loved the film as it was and they didn't ask for any changes. Um, and yeah, that made me feel really, which made me feel like we, we did a good job of taking care of everybody. Um, and, and making sure that they all, yeah, they all were represented in a, in a truthful and honest and caring way. Um, but yeah, definitely showing it to, um, the larger community, you know, we had our world premiere at Vancouver International Film Festival, which is my hometown, where this all happened, where, you know, Josh and all of his friends and my parents lived. And so that was a very intense and loaded premiere. <laughs> I don't think any, I don't think any film that I make in future will have that sort of weight to it. Um, so yeah, it was, it was wonderful. And it was also exhausting because I knew, even though my parents had seen the film, knowing that they're in the audience and like their community and all of their loved ones and just like how much this tragedy of, of Josh's death affected, you know, so many people in our wider community. So there were, there were folks who came out who I had never met before who were like, I went to high school with your brother. And like, that changed my view on life when that happened. And it impacted me so much. And, um, you know, 23 years later, people who are still touched by what happened and think about it. And, you know, I think that, uh, really, I didn't, I, I didn't necessarily expect to kind of be having those conversations with people, but, um, yeah, it was very powerful. Yeah. Um, through production, what was, I mean, I'm sure there were tons, um, but what were the most impactful moments for you? Definitely the, uh, the first time I brought a camera into the mix was uh, after having several one-on-one -on -one conversations where I was just recording audio, um, I brought together a group of Josh's friends. So there's the scene in the film where everybody's sitting on the couch. And that was, that was the first time that they had all spoken about it together in like 17 years, even though they're a tight knit family and so close and you know, talk about lots of stuff. It was like, that still hadn't really happened somehow. Um, and that was an, just absolutely life-changing night for me and I think very healing for all of them um so that yeah that really was one of those times where I walked away feeling like you know I remember it took about a week to recover from that from that feeling of just being overwhelmed with with new ideas about him of who he was and and really strong visuals that was the thing like I had like you know when you hear a story about someone and you have a kind of movie play out in your mind it's like there were new scenes new scenes and new angles and new visuals that um were just taking up all of all of the space in my mind and I, I couldn't think about anything else or like be present for anything else for quite a long time um 
and that that's I think what really inspired the idea to to create these handmade more abstract images and also that inspired um, some of the parts of the film where we have some young teens uh, acting they're not they're not actors and they're not speaking any dialogue but they were kind of representing Josh and his group of friends um, yeah that was sort of inspired by what I was hearing about him and how my brain was just flooded with these new scenes, new visuals of his life and who he was. So um, I guess another, another very impactful part of the process was um, I was making some of the handmade parts of the film in, uh, I'm part of a, an experimental film collective in Vancouver called Iris Film Collective. And we have a, a studio that uh, where I was I was creating some of the 16 millimeter images, and I was using um, I was using natural materials, I guess, like incorporating places into the physical process of of making the film. So what I mean is. Uh, places that were important to Josh, like the mountains near where we live, the ocean, the train tracks where him and his friends used to hang out. I I took uh, seawater and seaweed from the ocean and I immersed the film, the 16 millimeter film in it uh, and, and developed it that way. And, and um, I took plants from the mountains and made a film developer and used that. And I buried the film in the dirt by the train tracks and I also used Josh's ashes and that was something that the the incorporating those places was an idea that came I don't know like halfway through making making the film I think that idea came up of these symbols being really central and wanted to incorporate them but the idea of using the ashes was quite late in the process where I knew that the effect of soil um could be really interesting and beautiful and so I just thought like okay well what what would happen if I buried it in ashes say um and that of course was a question I, I had to I had to ask my parents for their blessing I wasn't going to use my brother's ashes without asking them and so that I remember that phone call being so powerful because again it was one of those moments where I'm like I'm asking for something without really being able to explain what I'm doing because yeah, I was like, what? you're going to do what with the ashes? Like, you know, I knew that it was going to be kind of unclear and confusing and I didn't know if it was going to work. Um, and I remember just being so stunned at how supportive my mom and dad were. I think at that point they had really come to see how dedicated I was for this project and even though they didn't necessarily understand what it was going to look like, they just, they just trusted. Um, and they allowed me to use some of, of some of his ashes and I ended up, um, yeah, burying the film in some of them, but also using them, like laying them on the film. And those were some nights that I spent in our, in our film collective studio, just like lighting a candle and talking to him, feeling like I was hanging out with my brother while I was, 
you know, like using these parts that were his body on the actual celluloid and, and then, you know, leaving them for a week and then coming back and rinsing it off and seeing what kind of effect it had. And it was um, very peaceful and very soothing to do that. Wow. This movie, uh, this film, you've, I mean, connected with him in, in so many ways. Um, who, who is Josh? Hmm. Yeah. Thanks for asking who he was. Uh, Josh was this very alive person. He was passionate and he was creative. He wrote incessantly. He wrote poems. He wrote screenplays. He um, short stories. He was thoughtful and opinionated. He cared deeply about people like really, really cared about people and hated uh, superficiality and hated um, you know, pretense and inauthenticity. He had like an aversion to inauthenticity, I feel. So um, yeah, he, he, somebody in the film kind of describes him as an artist, activist, anarchist. And that like, even at 15, it's like, he didn't actually get to become that, but he still was them. He still had all of that within him, I guess. Uh, and yeah, I just, I just think he was a brilliant person and someone who I would have loved to be friends with. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, this has been a journey. How, how long has it been, um, this process? It started six years ago, the process of, of getting to know Josh's friends, so really the seed of it. What, is, what does back home mean to you now? And I guess it's, it's strange to ask about goals and what you want people to take away from it, because I'm sure, you know, uh, it's, yeah, um, yeah, I guess I'll just ask that question. What, is, what does back home mean to you? Um, as in its final form? Yeah, it is definitely a question that I kind of grapple with at this stage, I think, because it is my first feature and because, you know, my, my team, my producer and I do, of course, have dreams and ambitions and hopes that it will go far. And, um, and so, you know, there's the, like, the wish for it to do well and play at festivals and um, you know, like you would for, for any film or anything that you work so hard on. And then, and then um, really just like the, the need I would say for it to reach people and uh, for people to connect to it. Like I just want people to see it <laughs> um, and see themselves in it more you know, kind of keeping that, I guess, a little bit separate from the the more like career oriented goals, right? Of of wanting it to play certain festivals or win awards, and like, of course, that would be thing, and we we would love that, but that's not why we made it. And um, wanting for people to feel cleansed, I think, like what I have been really, really delighted to hear from from audience members is that they 
are surprised that they walk out feeling kind of light or um, inspired or uplifted even, and they they didn't think that they would because of the topic. I guess yeah, it's surprising to some folks that they they don't walk out feeling a heaviness. And that was always a goal. It was always an intention that I I did not want people to walk out feeling heavy because discovering who Josh was has been such a beautiful experience for me and and I think for all of his friends coming together. Um, and also that Josh was more than a depressed teen. You know, that was one side, a very powerful side that, that unfortunately, you know, was too strong a presence, the darkness. Um, but he was, he was not always in darkness. He was so many other things. He was a whole person with many, um, yeah, with many beautiful emotions. Yeah. I think there's a lot of liberation in talking about grief mm-hmm. and, uh, and sharing it, um, sharing the weight, um, talking about it. And I think that's what you really captured as well as that community um and and the impact of that um because it can be so isolating and being honest and talking about it without the judgment which can be difficult to set aside sometimes is uh very healing and as you said cleansing it's uh powerful and it leaves you changed afterwards um so i think if that was your goal um you're definitely accomplishing Mm. that um, and uh, I think it's something that will probably stretch way beyond and to other people, you know, who've had similar experiences or losses and uh, bringing it to the surface and letting them see it um, and, and approach it in a way that isn't um, as traditional as, as grief can often be and constraining um, is uh, really really beautiful yeah yeah i think definitely there's still um at least in western culture a real um kind of like hush hush don't talk about it kind of idea around grief and death and that it's something that we have to be mournful we have to be sad and and we don't have to like we can celebrate people and we can um remember the joyous moments and choose to be in those kind of um parts as well as as being in the sadness that's important too but it you know it's not the only way to grieve and so with this uh all of this what has been your your proudest moment uh, in these past six years i think showing the film to josh's friends and to my parents and having them receive it so positively that was the world premiere to me, you know, like these people are who, these are the most important critics. <laughs> if they like the film, then I've done a good job. Um, yeah, I think that. And then also, you know, I mentioned some of the youth that that were in a small part of the film. Working with them was really wonderful. Like the energy that they brought was tremendously vibrant. And um, yeah, we didn't know them. They didn't know each other, but they all got to know each other. 
and became friends and um, hearing some of the impacts from them on, 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 again, I think they had kind of maybe ideas of what this film was, but they didn't really know until they saw it. And some of the, some of the responses from them have meant a great deal to me because, you know, they are the closest to, you know, who's being represented on screen and so many decades later to know that some of them have similar struggles with mental illness or with just feeling valued and to know that it meant something to them and that they felt moved by it and inspired and encouraged. Um, it just matters so much. It means the world. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I think you've done um, something truly inspiring with this film and um, I think it'll inspire many many people um in all kinds of different ways it's it's inspiring and, and makes you feel something um and so i'd like to know um what kind of movies uh, or motion pictures have made you feel something many it's hard to pick but um certainly a documentary that's very continues to inspire me um and, and certainly um inspired even before I think I was conscious of this film it kind of like the seed was was there of uh of inspiration from Sarah Polly's stories we tell that's a film about her family um her kind of getting to know some of the stories her family holds uh and then I remember Moonlight the first time I watched Moonlight I was alone in a cinema and it was just incredible. Um, I felt like I had walked out of a, a perfect film. <laughs> um, that was really beyond anything I, I had imagined. Um, there's a film called A Strange Love Affair with Ego by a Dutch filmmaker called Esther Gould that is very original in its form really, really stunning uh, the way she uses text on screen in a, in a minimalist way, actually. But it says so much. She worked with a poet to um, kind of make sure that they were finding exactly the words they needed to, to say what she wanted to say. And um, yeah, that's a tremendously creative and original piece. I'll need to watch that always like getting recommendations uh, mm -hmm. from people all around the world and you know um i think we all watch you know the main the main movies but there's something about those movies that stick with you that that you know uh just are in your skin um is there a movie that you would love like if you could experience it for the first time again that you would I think Moonlight or Eternal Sunshine of, of the Spotless Mind um, are some. Um, maybe Scared Sacred is another documentary by a, a local filmmaker called Velcro Ripper. I remember seeing that as a teenager and being stunned and walking out, feeling like I'm walking on <laughs> Yeah. This has been a journey. Uh, you know, you've gone from being in a film school um, on an island uh, when you were 14 and shooting a very, a movie, a short film I'd love to see. Uh, and I might look it up on YouTube now that you mentioned that it's there. 
um, just so you're warned. Um, <laughs> and uh, then you've gone to the Vancouver Film Festival and uh, so much in between. Um, how would uh, how would eleven year old Nisha react to seeing you now? You think? Um, well, it's funny when you mentioned when you framed it like you know going to film school on an island. Then I went to film school on another island. I went. I, I, <laughs> Many I went islands. To yeah, I went to film school in Cuba for the better part of three years. Um, Fascinating. I, yeah, and that was definitely a place that shaped me tremendously. Um, the Escuela Internacional de Cine y Televisión in San Antonio de los Baños is a a very, very um, renowned film school. It's not super well known in, in non-Spanish speaking countries, but um, yeah, they, they have produced some of them most creative work that I've seen. Um, and yeah, it is a, definitely a place that shaped my, my style and my belief in how films can be used as a tool for collective good and change. Um, so how would I, how would young Nisha see herself now? I think that, um, yeah, I think, I think young Nisha would be, pretty proud of what what uh current Nisha has done there have been a lot of adventures and a lot of um risks taken and there were also a lot of really challenging and and lonely times I think in my young life um losing my only sibling and yeah, I think it's encouraging for young Nisha. This <laughs> feels like a therapy session now, but to kind of like know that that didn't last forever and that things could change. That things did change. Yeah. Amazing. Now, this podcast is all about listening to women from all over the world and all of their different uh, experiences uh, and, uh, and advice. Um, is there a woman in the industry um, and the arts that inspires you that you'd like to give a shout out to? There are many. Uh, I had the great, great privilege of working with several wonderful, talented, hardworking, brilliant women. Um, like our core team of this film was my producer, Joella Cabalu and two co-editors, Milena Salazar and Jen Strom, who are responsible for making this film happen, truly. I could not have done it without them. Um, and every single one of them is just deeply committed and thoughtful, empathetic. Like we are, they feel like my family. I, I yeah, I just, um, I couldn't be more grateful for, for knowing those those women and having been able to create this personal work and to me it just feels so incredible that they cared so deeply about this film that um you know is my personal story but it's like they got to know josh too and they really love josh and um yeah i i definitely want to highlight all of them and joella who continues to champion this film and push it forward into the world with me and is just such a um, compassionate and thoughtful person in all ways. And that, that 
empathy and that consideration that she has and the integrity that she has like spills into the way she produces and her leadership and um, the projects that she creates as a director as well. So um, yeah, pretty, pretty remarkable women that I get to spend time with and, and make films with. Absolutely. To the people out there listening, uh, if they want to keep up to date with you, with Back Home and when they'll be able to watch it, where should they go? What do you want to plug and promote? Yeah, we have a Instagram account. It's Melodious Image Film. And on Twitter, it's Melodious Image. Uh, and on Facebook, it's also Melodious Image. So um, that's where you can find out what's happening and uh, where the film is going to be shown next. And do you want to give some final words to the people listening? I think making films is extremely challenging. You know, all kinds of art can be challenging. The film is quite particular in the way that it can take a lot of money and a lot of time and it can feel like just this enormous mountain. Um, so I really commend anybody who does it. Uh, even films that I watch that I don't think are very good, I'm like, yeah, you did it. You made a film. <laughs> like it's the hardest hard um anyone who makes a film I just think should be incredibly proud of themselves um but it's a wild world out there and if you can find your weirdos the people who believe in you and and who you want to see succeed as well that you can kind of be together in in the wildness um you know just not not thinking of it as individual projects and individual artists but like how can we better the culture as a whole and art as a whole and how does it improve the health and the lives of people in the world and that's something to strive for and it's time for the round table hello guys um as you might hear i am here by myself this week um because lauren is is a busy busy american woman uh no time zones just got uh, the best of us um but we still want to deliver so i'm here today solo at the end of this episode and we're basically just going to be talking about upcoming 2023 movies that are made by women uh, i'm gonna jump straight to the point because we do have quite a few and then at the end I'll talk a bit about what I've been watching lately and more to expect from this year. What was interesting when I was kind of searching for this is obviously we are in January. So a lot of movies that will come out this year that are made by women are still in production and haven't been given release dates or synopsis and don't have a lot of information and might not even like be on any lists. And it can be quite difficult to find, especially when we move over to more independent movies. The first one that we know will be coming out, and we do have a date for, is The Marvels, directed by Nia DaCosta, who you might also know for our work on Littlewoods and Candyman. It's also written by her and Megan McDonnell, who also uh, produced Meet Cute and wrote for WandaVision. Executive producer includes Mary Livanos. Now, this movie is set to be released on November 11th, and the story is as follows. 
Carol Danvers, a.k.a. Captain Marvel, has reclaimed her identity from the tyrannical Kree and taken revenge on the supreme intelligence. But unintended consequences see Carol shouldering the burden of a destabilizing universe. When her duties send her to an anomalous wormhole linked to a Kreever revolutionary, her powers become entangled with that of Jersey City superfan Kamala Khan, a.k.a. Miss Marvel, and Carol's estranged niece, Captain Monica Rambu. Together, this unlikely trio must team up and learn to work in concert uh, to save the universe as the Marvels. Now, I know Captain Marvel, it was not a perfect movie by far, but it definitely wasn't as bad as a lot of people made it out to be either. And I do hope that, especially with someone who is as talented as Nia DaCosta behind the scenes, I, I really hope that they can um, work on yeah, work on the feedback that the first movie got as well and kind of develop her character a bit more. And I think especially since she won't be um, bearing the entire weight of the movie, it'll be a bit more balanced and there'll be other vulnerabilities with these younger teens involved as well. So I think it'll be uh, really interesting to see. I'm going to hold, spare my judgment and just watch the movie when it comes and see it for what it is. The next one that I think a lot of us are very excited about, is Barbie, directed and co-written by Greta Gerwig, also featuring producer Margot Robbie and executive producer Julia Pister. Now, this movie is set to be released on July 21st um, and goes as follow. After being expelled from Barbie land for being a less than perfect looking doll, Barbie sets off for the human world to find true happiness. And of course, it has a stellar cast, including Margot Robbie, who's also the producer, um, Ryan Gosling and Simu Liu and Emma McKay and it's just it's gonna be really fun I think it's just gonna be a, a fun time so I'll look forward to watching that in the summer next up is a movie that goes by two titles so you have Jean Dubarry and La Favorite I think La Favorite is the French title because I believe this is a French movie um, not an awful lot of information yet but it is directed and co-written by Mai Wen. Uh, also featuring executive producers Julia Kimon Den Prich and Nelly Holmes and, and Svetlana Miganova Dali. There's no release date yet, but it does follow the life of Jean Becou, who was born as the illegitimate daughter of an impoverished seamstress in 1743 and went on to rise through the court of Louis the Fuck. <laughs> XV. I'm not good with my Roman numerals. What is that number? Louis the 15th? Damn. So that many Louis? Oh, that's a lot. That's a lot of Louis. Um, the court of Louis the Fifteenth to become his last official seamstress. Um, so this is a period piece, a drama, and I don't know much about this director, but I'm excited to see what she's got planned for us, and I'll be keeping my eye out personally for whenever this will be released. It is set to be this year, so that is good. Next up, we have The Nightingale, directed by Melanie Lawrence, screenplay by Dana Stevens, with producer Elizabeth Cantillon and executive producer Caroline Levy also working on it. Now, this movie features El Dakota, L and 
uh, Dakota Fanning, <laughs> um, as the two sisters living in France who had torn apart the onset of World War II. This is based off Kristen Hanna's novel, The Nightingale. There's not a lot of more information about this, other than the fact that it's based off this book, so you can assume that it will follow that plot. And it is not related to Jennifer Kent's 2018 film, The Nightingale, even though that is also a spectacular movie. Um, now, there's no release date for this movie yet. It was, I remember last year, I believe it was set to come out, and, and then it got pushed, which is normal, that happens. So I'm going to assume that it'll come out some point this year. Um, but The Nightingale... Is, might just be uh, a title you want to keep in mind. Next up, we have A Winter's Journey, written and directed by Alex Helfrich. Um, this movie is going to be released this year, but there's no official release date yet. The plot follows an interned lovelorn poet who's banished from society and undertakes a hazardous walk across mountains, ice and snow, a journey which will bring either death or new life. It is based on Franz Schubert's timeless classic song cycle. This is an animated movie as well, so I really look forward to that and I'm happy to see uh, a female director within animation because that is an aspect of filmmaking that is often excluded in statistics and such and there is a severe lack of women who get directing roles in animation, so happy to see that. Next up, um, a movie that I'm not sure it's going to be released this year, to be completely honest with you, um, because there's no information about it, but... I am intrigued. This is Perfect by director and executive producer Olivia Wilde, who you of course know from Booksmart and the, um, should we say, conversation-sparking movie Don't Worry Darling. <laughs> it also features executive producer Marissa Clifford. Now the production here was pushed back from, like the production itself was pushed back last summer um, and there's kind of uncertainty about the release, but it is on several 2023 lists, so we'll have to see. It's a biopic and it follows uh, the American gymnast Carrie Strug, here played by Thomasine McKenzie, as she tries to overcome a terrible injury in order to compete for a gold medal in the 1996 Olympics. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I do respect a lot of what Olivia Wilde has done in her directing career um, and I will be there if it comes out. I'll be there in the cinema. Next up, another movie that... <sighs> Next up, there is another movie that's... um. Everyone wants, right? Like, we all want to watch this movie. There is not a synopsis out there. There's not a date out there. But we do have some information who's working on it. And hopefully, hopefully this comes out this year. And that is, of course, Legally Blonde 3, directed by Jamie Sook, written by Minda Carling, Karen McCullough, Kirsten Smith and Dan Gore. It also features producers Laren Levy Neustadter and Reese Witherspoon, who's of course our star alongside Jennifer Coolidge. Now, I'm like any person, a massive legally blonde stan. Like that movie has survived the test of time. It is extraordinary. And every time I watch it, I just, there's more to it that I love. Um, I really hope this movie comes out. I really hope it comes out in the summer and that we can do kind of like, oh my God, can you imagine a summer? Where you get both Barbie and Legally Blonde 3. I mean, shut the fuck up. That's going to be amazing. I mean, that that's going to be a moment. Um, so I really hope that we can get some more information on this. I mean, a little synopsis even. I'm, I'm not asking for a trailer. But a synopsis? Just a little a little plot line? A little, a little something? Thank you. Thank you, Mindy. 
And yeah, there are other movies uh, featuring women in lead creative roles, such as The Little Mermaid uh, and Rothko, but Rothko is directed by Sam Taylor-Johnson, who I'm not a huge fan of, so I didn't really want to amplify that too much. And you can go on like IMDb, look through the upcoming movies 2023, there are a bunch of movies that have a lot more information on them. Unfortunately, a lot of those movies do not feature women uh, in directing, writing or producing roles. Uh, very few in all three and I just kind of wanted to um, present those that do and, and seem to have uh, a focus on, on women leading production here and because that's what that's what this podcast is all about so we love to see it you know and then of course it is the new year and been having some time off which has been really nice and meant that I've been able to catch up on movies and I think a new year's resolution for me the biggest one is kind of more it's not a specific but it's it's more of a mentality thing where I am a huge procrastinator and I'm extraordinarily bad at making decisions and what I want to do this year is just I want to be quicker to make decisions because a lot of the time I do know what I want but I'm weighing other options and I just at the end of the day I've spent an hour debating what to watch and I just end up something and it's just ah tired but I've put this into motion and I've been very made some executive decisions and just sat down and watched movies that I would have otherwise have gone oh I'll watch that later but I've actually watched them this time and it's been very nice so I actually have one two three four five movies already and I know like a lot of you people five movies watch to watch five movies in a week is nothing like that's not a big deal at all but and, and you might be surprised that I'm like kind of like very happy about this number but um for me I just I've really struggled this past year to sit down and focus um and just make the decision to just to just do it um but I'm doing that now so anyway Jesus Christ here's me procrastinating talking about this right um the first movie I watched was a White Noise directed by Noah Bamba. Now this, I'm not sure. I think this is an, hmm. As a story, I wasn't there a hundred percent of the time. It was messy and extraordinarily bizarre. I loved that aspect of it. Like I loved the style um, and I think it worked really well with the subject matter. And I think, the thing is, I wouldn't watch this movie again, and I definitely wouldn't recommend it to a lot of people, but to the people who have watched it, I would love to talk about the subject matter, and because I think it really captured information overload, panic, and it kind of felt like um, a visual expression of like real people going through doom scrolling, but like in real life. Um, the dialogue to me when I was watching it, I was just like, this is this is fucking Twitter, you know, like how we'll talk about news and things that are happening that are really scary and we'll constantly be having new information coming at us and we don't know how to tackle it. And then like <laughs> one person who's in the corner will pipe up and be like, ask something weird, ask a random question and somebody will throw in a joke and it feels like really misplaced and like out of nowhere but that's how we consume information nowadays through the internet is that we will scroll and we will see tragedy and tragedy and meme meme tragedy and it's like we process that so insanely quickly that we don't even think about it and I don't think our brains were designed to take in the level of information let alone the stark differences of like 
comedy and utmost tragedy and I I found it deeply fascinating to watch I, I actually I might rewatch it again just to get more into the themes of it um I do think it kind of missed the mark in terms of pacing sometimes I did have to pause and go for a little nap but I did come back and I enjoyed what it was saying I found that and I, I think it did it in a way that was overwhelming that was just too much but that's what it's about so to me that worked I did a quick rewatch of The Hunt Games that same day, um, which seemed really fitting because it's again about this kind of dystopia and um, how thin the line is between entertainment and tragic news um, and and kind of panic and how like just how close those are becoming uh, in today's world and, and kind of, yeah, just with the internet, I think, in general, just how much all these things are happening at the same time, and it's becoming more and more difficult to kind of separate them. Then I went back to 2017 and watched Thoroughbreds, directed by directed by Corey Finley. Now this movie stars Anya Taylor-Joy and Olivia Cook as two rich teenage girls um one who clearly lacks empathy uh that's olivia cook's character and anya taylor joy who seems um to be quite self-centered um and obsessed and i loved i loved this movie um i found it incredibly interesting to see their dynamic and also the commentary on class i all of it loved it it's hilarious and really offbeat and also deeply unsettling at the same time talking about unsettling i finally got a chance to watch the wonder starring florence Pugh. this i didn't know what to expect i don't know why it took me so long to watch it either i just kind of like i didn't really know and then i saw it on netflix and i was like oh, fuck i should just i should just watch it and so i watched it last night um blown away i uh, again there's something about our and i think it's a very human thing our willingness or kind of the opposite our, our unwillingness to accept mistakes or assumptions we've made um and, and how willing we are to go with things we know are pr is probably misinformation but we just don't want to admit that we were wrong in the first place um and then kind of the religious aspect that came into that as well deeply fascinating the music uh, um, as the subtitles described it <laughs> ethereal echoes or ethereal whispers and i was like ah beautiful and of course i mean florence Pugh, she's just unbelievable Lastly, um, I watched Ali and Ava, directed by Cleo Bernard. This was a movie from last year that went really under the radar, but I do remember seeing it on um, the schedule of the cinema, and I just never got around to watch it um, because it had such a limited release, but I'm very happy to say that it is now on Netflix, and I would highly recommend it. This is uh, such a life-inducing movie about two divorced middle-aged people in a working-class town in England who fall in love um, and kind of their relationships with other people in town, their family, those dynamics and kind of what it's like to 
rediscover love and and celebrate yourself and living for yourself again um found it incredibly beautiful so highly highly recommend that would probably be my number one recommendation of this week if you're wanting to watch something on netflix it's only i think an hour and a half as well ali and ava directed by cleo bernard go watch it it's just brilliant that's all I have for you today. Uh, thank you so much for sitting with me in this roundtable. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Nisha. I hope you found it very insightful. I sure did. All of these movies will be listed down below. And of course, make sure to check out our previous episodes. Subscribe and stick around next week where I'll be talking with Marie-Claire Bowser, talking about the environmental impact filmmaking has and how we can make it a more sustainable industry. Thank you for listening to this episode of Making It Women in Film, a podcast produced by Bonnie and Bra and LS Films. If you want to support this podcast, you can do so by subscribing to us wherever you're listening and leave a review or a rating. It'll only take you a few clicks, but it'll mean the world to us. You can also check out our website, womeninfilm.co.uk, follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at makingwomeninfilm, and feel free to shoot us an email at makingwomeninfilm at gmail.com if you have any questions or inquiries or anything at all, and we'll try to get back to you. Alright, I guess I'll just see you next week. Bye!